it's funny because JFK was a Democrat. But man, didn't we have some things in common? He believed in a strong national defense and a large and powerful military. He believed in low taxes. He believed um, in maximum freedoms. He was a radical Democrat for all of the right reasons. Hello and welcome to The Joe Mobley Show. I'm your host, Joe Mobley, and you're listening to the only place in cyberspace where we talk about being conservative. We hit on current events, the politically correct cancel culture, and problems with civil discourse. But most importantly, we discuss what you can do to come out of the conservative closet. The Joe Mobley Show is a new and exciting podcast that airs weekly on Monday mornings. We have a range of controversial topics on deck, Even so, it's important that we hear from you what matters most. Be sure to send questions, comments, and things you'd like to hear discussed to ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. That's ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. To make sure you stay informed on the latest content, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Welcome back to The Joe Mobley Show. I am Joe Mobley, your host. Thanks so much for listening. I've got an awesome show for you guys. We're going to blast through four points. But first, this Saturday, March 9th, I'll be doing my first ever live event. I'm streaming live with Pat and Dave Brown. You know them. You love them from episodes 12 and 13. If you haven't gotten a chance to listen to them in those interviews, definitely go back. Take a listen. We'll be discussing their new book, Black and White, how the left is destroying the dream of Martin Luther King Jr. and the Founding Fathers, but we're also taking your questions live. That's going to be happening over on YouTube this Saturday, March 9th, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. If you want to send in questions ahead of time or maybe you can't catch the show live, then send those questions to ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. Put question in the subject line. You know that I will get it. Uh, you can also reach out to me on on Twitter. Uh, you can check out my locals, thejoemobleyshow.locals.com. Uh, but the best way to make sure that I get your question um, is either, well, really is to attend and to type it into the chat box. But if you want to do it beforehand, email ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. So we're going to jump right into the show. Guys, I get a lot of messages from people, which is awesome. It means that people are listening to the show. I really enjoy the messages. Um, I also have some uh, more intimate and deeper conversations with people that know me. I know that they have um, my best interest at heart, people that love me. Uh, But I've gotten this question from some of them and also from uh, just some acquaintances, uh, friends, and people that are just fans of the show. asking why I don't often invoke the Bible in debates and in public forum when I'm having these kind of civil discourse things. Uh, So I definitely want to address this. This is the first point here. Um, I do believe in the God of the Bible. I do believe that the Bible is inspired by God. Um, I, I am a Christian. I believe in 2 Timothy 3.16 that says, All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 
I believe there's one true God, the God of the Bible, who exists outside of time, who was and is and is to come. He's a triune God that exists in God the Father, Jesus Christ, his Son, and also in the Holy Spirit. Um, So I I just wanted to lay this out uh, and be clear about it before I get to why I don't. I also believe that God the Father sent his son Jesus to live a sinless life, to experience every temptation that man does, and to die a blameless death as a sacrifice for all mankind, for me, for you, uh, for my wife, for my children, for everyone. Um, Jesus is my Savior, and I will always choose him over anything. Um, So thank you guys so much, um, those of you who have asked me about this. Uh, no, I am not on any tenuous footing. No, actually, no one said that to me. But I, I do believe, you know, that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God uh, and that there is only one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus. As Jesus said himself, uh, very famous verse, John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. None of my beliefs around this have changed. That is absolutely true. Every word of scripture is true and God-breathed. So the question becomes, why don't I rely solely on this authority as my source when I'm having these debates, when I'm having these conversations? Um, And honestly, the reason is kind of twofold. The Bible you know, is it's deep and it's intimate and personal. Um, and a lot of times I don't have the type of relationship immediately where I can jump to that. That That's true. We know, and I say we, believers know uh, that the word speaks for itself. Um, and, and many have been saved, uh, you know, by Christ through grace and their faith in Christ just from reading the Bible alone. So while, yes, I I do believe in the power of the scripture, and if I just stand and read scripture to people, I do believe that will reach some people. Um, But I don't see this podcast and I don't see conversations that I have about uh, some of these civil discourse issues as an evangelical tool. Um, I, I do evangelize often and frequently. I'm actually pretty decent at it. Um, they, they do make you take evangelism at Liberty where I studied in undergrad. Uh, but I, I do, I love that stuff. There are things that I do daily um, that are more evangelism based. Uh, so one, that's, that's reason number one. But reason number two is actually something that uh, Christians need to come to grips with and people of all religions need to come to grips with from a philosophical standpoint, invoking the Bible, and Ben Shapiro brings this up all the time, Dennis Prager uh, does this kind of thing. If I'm debating, if I'm having a talk in the town square type of setting, you know, uh, politics, 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 ideology, 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 with someone who's a believer, then we can live in that space and go for it all day long. Um, But if not, then I would be committing the appeals to authority fallacy. Um, I've got the end all be all. I'll say this is it because God said so. Uh, And that that actually doesn't work for someone who's a non-believer. They don't uh, subscribe to the authority that I'm citing. So I go into these conversations already knowing that. 
That brings me to kind of a sub point here. Religious conservatives screw this up all the time. You know, we don't want people to have to follow God's law under penalty of criminal law. We don't want people to go to jail for not being Christians. We want people to be free to choose and accept the gifts of grace and love and mercy and salvation. And I know that I'm right about this because that's the way that God, the creator, who set the universe into motion, breathed life into man, knit everyone who is or has lived or who will live, who knit us all together in our mother's wombs. Guys, you know what I am talking about here. The one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Psalms 24.1 tells us the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they who dwell in it. Everyone is his. And he created everything and he didn't force us into a relationship with himself. He didn't force us to believe in him and to love him and trust him and rest in him. He didn't force it on us. We're all subject to God's law. We will all answer to God no matter what we believe. And if we've, you know, trusted in Jesus and and repented of our sin and asked forgiveness, you know, then we've gone into that relationship. But we can't force it on people as from a governmental standpoint. God allows us to choose it freely. So that's how he wants us to behave with other people. We can't force it on people. If forcing belief was the best, if that was the right thing to do, then that's what God would have done. That's how he would have created the universe when he set it into motion. So, yeah, I... I, I hope I didn't ruffle any feathers. I don't think that I did. I don't think that feathers should be ruffled uh, for what I've said. But I just I just wanted to kind of explain this a little bit, but also kind of put it to bed because my some of my episodes are more um, on the religious side than others. A lot of people really like the interview with Glenn Ransom, who is the uh, president and CEO of the Bible and Stories. You know, I'm interviewing a guy who owns a company called the Bible and Stories. It's, it, the Bible's going to come up a bit. Uh, and that was a really great interview, really great guy. I look forward to having him on the show again. Um, if you haven't checked out that product, go to thebibleandstories.com right now. It's a really awesome, beautiful, uh, illustrated um, three-volume picture Bible that's awesome. It's not for kids. This is for child, children, teens, and adults alike. Um, anyway, so some of my episodes are going to live more in that space. I've, I've interviewed pastors. I will interview pastors. I've got some on deck. But that's not actually kind of the crux of the show and the engagement that I'm trying to drive here. Um, I know, you know, my listener probably also listens to Relatable uh, with Allie Beth and uh you know, she really brings a lot more scripture, a lot more uh, Bible storytelling into um, what she's got going there with the blaze. Um, and I think it's awesome. And I believe in the, you know, the news, the way that she's bringing it. Uh, but I do kind of want to lean more towards the the Dave Rubin 
Ruben, the Ben Shapiro, um, you know, facts and philosophy, which is also truth. Uh, now, part of the reason that I do this whole thing is because all roads lead to, you know, just the concept of truth leads to the God who set truth, who established what is good, bad, morality, ethics, that there is an objective truth. All those roads lead, you know, it's one of those all roads lead leads to Jesus type of things. Um, so it's definitely a doorway that I leverage and take advantage of. All right, so that's the first point. Oh, man, I'm actually making pretty good time. Uh, so the second thing I wanted to talk about is, did Orwell just miss the date by about 30 years? Um, of course, I'm referencing 1984 and that kind of Orwellian reality, because if you haven't read the book, then definitely read the book. Um, if you are not a reading type person, don't be discouraged still research some about George Orwell and his his novel 1984. Um, learn about some of the Orwellian uh, principles floating around in society. Um, just wanted to touch on a couple of them quickly. Orwell wrote about this concept of doublethink. And um, what he meant by doublethink is that you would be forced to hold contrary ideas in your head um, and that you would have to believe things as true that directly contradict one another. He wrote and he knew, um, you got to understand that he lived in a time where these totalitarian regimes were really taking root and running rampant throughout the world. Communism was destroying and ravaging tens of millions of lives. Um, and, and he saw that and lived through that. Um, the, the Stalin, the Mao, uh, of course, Hitler, seeing things from socialism, communism, fascism, seeing these ideas actually take form and take root in the hearts and minds of people and seeing some of the worst atrocities to ever occur. And Orwell, you know, thought about these things and he read about them and studied them and kind of, you know, in 1984, he really discusses and draws out and outlines some of the things that need to be true, almost like an innovator, a project manager, an entrepreneur, what would need to be true for this to occur? And for these regimes to actually be successful, you know, Hitler didn't steal power. He came to power with the support of the people. Uh, the same is true of Mao, of Stalin, of Lenin. They came to power with the support of the people. The road there is, of course, hijacking media, education, um, these kind of cultural societal pillars. But there's some very tactical, strategic things that you have to do. One of those things is creating a culture where devil think happens, where devil think occurs in people's minds without them even knowing it. We see this today with ideas like transgenderism and feminism. Of course, those ideas are at odds. We're saying that we want to prop up women, we want to support women, but we're also saying that a man can become a woman. So there's a conflict there. We're seeing this most tangibly in sports uh, because 
females' records are being destroyed, biological females' records are being destroyed by that of males in the form of transgender athletes. Um, you know, without getting into all of the science behind the biological fact that men tend to be larger, physically stronger, faster, uh, more athletically capable, which is why we've always had men or male and female sports. Um, without getting into all that, I think you can still kind of wrap your mind around the idea of doublethink here that, you know, this huge push for transgenderism and all of the rights therein, all of the, uh, the, freedoms and and celebration but also the freedoms and celebration of women in the feminist movement though that's a double think thing another double think thing this one's a little easier to grasp all whites are racist but also a white woman is the person who knows best about this race war thing of course thinking about robin d'angelo it can't be true. Everyone knows it can't be true that all whites are racist. And we're listening to Robin D'Angelo, the author of White Fragility. Those ideas are directly contrary to each other. They cannot be true. For this ideology to work out, uh, this this wokeism type idea, for it to be true, Robin D'Angelo would have to be a racist. And we can't say that she's just saying you know, while well, I embrace my my privilege and my oppressor side and calculate her her critical race theory oppressor points because she is white, but she is a woman, but she's also well-educated. That's another oppressor point. And she's also very wealthy. So she would actually come up plus two, I think, if I did my math right, which would make her an oppressor. Um, we know that this is a double think type of thing. Another double think type of thing, freedom of speech and cancel culture. Those ideas are at odds. We can't be free to say what we want to say, think what we want to think, believe what we want to believe, but also for there to be this cancellation apparatus, especially for something called hate speech. Um, hate speech isn't actually a thing. You can say something that someone else hates, you know, Everyone doesn't love everything. So, you know, I could say puppy. Well, guess what, guys? Someone hates puppies. Someone hates dogs. Maybe they had a traumatic experience. I don't know. So to say dog is actually hate speech to someone else, does that mean we can't say it? Uh, so the idea of liberty, the idea of freedom, especially as it relates to the First Amendment, freedom of speech, expression, uh, religious practice, all of that type of stuff, and the idea of cancellation or the idea that you can be jailed or fined um, for saying things, expressing things, believing things that someone else hates. Those that's a double think right there. So all of these ideas lie in direct contradiction to one another. And that's a huge problem. And if you want to learn more about that, definitely, I don't know, I don't care if it's YouTube videos or if you get the book, but definitely check out what George Orwell had going on, the 1984 predictions. And I, I think that you'll really enjoy uh, the experience. 
some other things that he kind of talked about was that memory hole, uh, which we see where literally they say it in the book, disappearing history, um, where we're getting rid of ideas that people once had. We're getting rid of philosophy that people once had. We're getting rid of books and speeches and portraits. Um, We're having this idea of the eternal present. And, you know, there's an excellent quote on this. I actually um, I actually want to look it up right now. So just bear with me a second. So Orwell writes, um, and this is what people mean when they refer to the eternal present. He writes, every record has been destroyed or falsified. Every book rewritten, every picture has been repainted. Every statue and street building has been renamed. Every date has been altered. And the process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. Guys, if you haven't heard this before, look it up, read it, kind of, uh, you know, I don't want to say meditate on it, but kind of really think about what's being said and what it means. History has stopped. There is no past, there is no future, there's only now what exists now and what the party says is always right. This is what we mean by wokeism, this is cancel culture, this is what we mean by not liberal but leftists, where whatever fringe thing that they decide right now in the moment is true, is just, is righteous, is exactly that. It doesn't matter that Joe Biden has said some of the most inflammatory racist bullcrap that I've heard in a long time. None of that matters. The party has decided in the eternal president and and right now what he said, what he's done, none of that matters just right now. Um, Guys, every, every statue and street building has been renamed. We're doing this now. They're talking about renaming Anything that had anything to do with great Americans, with the founding fathers, uh, the statues, they want them down and the buildings, they want them renamed. You know, I put out that that YouTube video um, the other week about my alma mater, GW, George Washington University, sending me that ridiculous email with their ridiculous T-shirt in the bookstore now where I can show my support for BLM with a GW-branded BLM shirt with a fist on it because that signifies tolerance, which is absurd. That's another double think, guys, that a fist is a sign of peace. Are you... Like, do you really expect to believe that in your brain that's like me saying pointing an ak-47 at you is an invitation is a welcoming gesture of course it isn't guys this is double think this is required for 
a regime, a totalitarian regime, a true fascist regime to take over. It's required before laying the foundation. It's okay that you didn't know this was happening. You were ignorant of it before, but you're not today. It requires, you know, the difference between knowing something and learning something. Knowing something means that you know it as cursory knowledge. Learning something means that it takes root and the knowledge has changed you. It's changed your behavior. You've learned your lesson. You don't do what you did before. You guys don't need to know about cancel culture. You don't need to know about wokeism. You don't need to know about radical leftists. You don't need to know about totalitarianism and socialist regimes and fascism. You need to have learned it and change your behavior change your way of thinking, change the things that you do in daily life, because this is an emergency. This is a crisis. This is something that needs to have something done about it. Every date has been altered. Have you heard of the 1619 Project? Are you aware to become a United States citizen taking the naturalization exam, you have to take an exam, a test that most Americans would fail today. And on that test, it is a fact that the United States was founded in 1776. And the rest of the world knows it. And history's record knows that as a truth, but you are expected to hold two conflicting ideas in your head that the United States was founded in both 1776 and 1619. Literally, every date has been altered. They're saying that the civil rights movement was of no effect and that the Civil Rights Act was essentially useless. And it's continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. We will tell you what to believe. We will tell you what it means. Oh, you thought the Declaration of Independence and them setting, sending essentially a suicide pact across the ocean to the biggest bully in the world, the largest military in the world, the greatest power the world had ever known to that point. They're expecting you to believe that sending a suicide pact to that place, to that person, to that ruler was actually not not a big deal. That's not, that wasn't significant at all. The United States was really founded in 1619. Um, so anyway, that's what Orwell, you know, has to offer us. It's really important stuff that we need to latch on to. And I've started to get a little winded, so I'm going to jump back in uh, to my notes here. So my next point is that there's a new religion and it's wildly popular. For a while, Jedi was the, I think it was the largest or the fastest growing religion in the UK, like 2016 timeframe. Um, but we've got something that's even more popular than Jedi, than Judaism, than Christianity, uh, Buddhism, and then all of these things. And it's safetyism, guys. Safetyism is a religion. You know, Dennis Prager talks about this. 
not at length, but frequently. He talks about it all the time on his show, an awesome show, Fireside Chat. I listen to it all the time. Dennis, I don't expect that you're listening, but if through some cosmic coincidence you are, I love the show. Please keep doing what you're doing. But here's the thing about safetyism. It's not just a religion. It's perhaps the most powerful and influential religion in the world. Why? Because it's gripped the entire world. It's grown faster than anything. It has. If you disagree, you're hated as a heretic. If you disagree with climate change, renewable energy, masks, experimental vaccines, vaccines that were cleared only for emergency use. Since when is a chance of getting sick with something that has over a 99% survival rate an emergency? That's like the flu. That's like declaring the flu an emergency. It's a religion. It's not believe the science. It's believe scientist that we believe in. It's that whole don't believe your lying eyes thing. And really, they don't want you to believe your lying experience. Now, here's, here's the test that I do. And if, if you watch my videos, you've, you've probably heard this. But here's a simple test to kind of re, root through the bullcrap of safetyism. So I'm a security expert. I've talked about it on the show. I, I don't need to lay out the credentialing or whatever anymore. But if I told you the best thing for you to do is to adjust your schedule so that you're usually alone with two headphones in, speak, playing music really loud and walking down dark alleys always after midnight. That was the safest thing for you to do. You would say, Joe, you're being crazy. Of course not. Of course that's not safe. That is obviously dangerous. It sounds like a terrible idea. But what if I said you can't say that because you're not the security expert? I am. Or, you know, in, in another way of saying it is you're not the scientist. The scientists are. You're not the doctor. The doctor is. You know, we're, we're pretending like the appeals to authority fallacy doesn't exist anymore. Once someone throws out that credential, then that's it. The jig is up. It's just like if your tax professional told you some terrible, terrible tax advice. You, you could say, well, that doesn't sound right. That sounds legal. Didn't Al Capone do this or anything like that? But what if you couldn't because they're the expert that's the double think. That's the truth behind the don't believe your lying eyes. And we all laugh. You know better. You know better than walking around late at night through dark alleys, blasting music in your ears. You know better. But everything with this emergency, and I'm doing air quotes around emergency, because something that kills if we round up, something that kills 1% of the time is not an emergency. Guys, there's risk in life. Did you know that over 40,000 deaths are completely preventable if we reduce the speed limit to 25 miles an hour? All speed limits in the U.S.? 
of course, that's ridiculous. We accept that there is inherent risk in driving and and the level of productivity that we get from going to and fro and how our you know how far we can go by land is drastically increased because of cars and the internet or the internet <laughs> don't drive on the internet because of cars and the interstate we accept the reality that 40,000 people a year will die we we can get rid of those deaths if we trade the convenience and the value added of driving faster for 25 miles an hour everywhere always. Do you guys want to do it? Do you not want to do it because you hate people? Because you want those 40,000 people dead? Because that's what's going on with the mask. With the masks, people are saying, you know, I, I just prefer not to wear it. Just like some people prefer not to get on the interstate. They prefer to drive other routes so they don't have to drive on the more dangerous road. But we're going around saying, you know, no, no, you have to think what I think. Otherwise, you hate people. You're trying to kill your murderer. Guys, this is double think. Kind of in the same vein, but a little bit different. Some of you are really upset that I use the phrase coming out of the conservative closet. And I got to tell you guys, tough crap, too bad. I'm not changing it. In fact, my idea was validated literally the other day. I was listening to Dennis Prager, as I often do, and he was explaining one of the questions that he got from, I think he said it was a gay actor who was also a Republican. And this guy said the thing that he keeps most secret in his life is the fact that he's conservative. Not the fact that he's gay. The fact that he's a Republican. Because you lose work. You lose relationships. You receive threats. You get bad grades. You fail Classes, guys, there are real consequences to being conservative, and there are none to being gay. When's the last time a gay friend came out and was met with anything other than cool or celebration or wow, thanks for sharing, or hey, we really appreciate you uh, telling us that we're here to support you. When's the last time that that was not the case, unless you're talking about some schoolyard kids? No one is, hardly anyone, I don't want to say no one, just like racists exist in the world, people that are still weirded out or put off or completely disagree with homosexuality um, in the ways that the, that it really impacts their relationships just like that's real yeah there there are probably some fringe cases but we can't pretend like the norm is for you to be hated ostracized cast into the deepest darkest corner of the office place or whatever if you're gay or if you're lesbian or if you're a trans adult guys this doesn't happen it doesn't I'm the most right-wing person most people will meet, and I'm very, very religious, and I've been on various client sites where there are obviously trans people. I don't care. 
your lifestyle doesn't have any power over me and the fact that I believe what I believe about it shouldn't have any power over you. We, we didn't have any type of interaction centered around our differences. We were there to do a job. We worked well together. I enjoyed the conversations that I had with these transgender people. And you know what it wasn't about? It wasn't about how, you know, God of the Bible that I believe in says that what they're doing is sin and bad and and the wages of sin is death. It wasn't about that. And it wasn't about how they wanted rights X, Y, or Z or to have you know, special tax incentives or different uh, marriage law or any of that. So we need to stop pretending like it's still a deep closet issue to be one of those other things because it's not. No one's getting canceled for being gay, for being lesbian, for being trans or any of the other um, letters in, in the acronym, no one is getting canceled for that. No one is losing work for that. No one is being ostracized or condemned in any way for any of that stuff. The closet issue of our day is not believing in wokeism. It's so bad that it's not even conservatives who are in the closet. It's also liberals, actual liberals, actual Democrats are in the closet as well. They're in the closet because they can't say, hey, I don't believe everything that AOC says, or hey, I don't believe in cancel culture, or I don't think that we should be socialists. Abigail Spanberger said, guys, we cannot, on that closed Democrat call, she said, we cannot use the language socialism or defund the police, or, and she said, we'll get effing destroyed. So even Democrats are in the closet. If they don't believe in left-wing propaganda. All right, so the last thing that I will discuss is the why. Why am I doing this show? Why is there another podcast? Does this, you know, just just why? Uh, and, and I have to say that, you know, throughout history, there have been There have been great people, but there have also been some truly extraordinary people. Um, that I, I think greatness just doesn't really get at what they did, who they were. Thinking George Washington, um, thinking Martin Luther King Jr., thinking people that you might not have heard of, like John Newton, who, you know, research John Newton. He was a slave trader turned abolitionist. He put words to the rhythmic cries and tribal melodies of slaves being transported under his ship. And he recounted an experience of slaves in a particularly terrible storm. And they're crying and chanting and humming and and moaning this melody. And today, that melody, he put words to it, which you guys would try to cancel him, I'm sure. He's been dead for a long, long time. But that melody today is the hymn Amazing Grace. And he was there in the slave trade, the triangle slave trade, which if you know anything about one Blacks in Africa were capturing other blacks and selling them. Uh, The first slave owner in the United States was actually a black um, American. And guys, 
other countries that it was a triangle trade. So the buck did not stop with the United States. They, they brought millions of slaves to South America. Brazil had 12 million black African slaves. We had nowhere near Brazilian slavery. Our American slavery pales in comparison to the slaves that were brought to Brazil. But I guess they just get a pass. I guess they're a marginalized group as well. But I digress. I'm getting off track. That's actually being anti-racist. John Newton, who participated, he, he was a participant in the slave trade. And after his times at sea and after this terrible storm, he had gotten off of it. He had settled down in the States and he became a Christian and realized what was going on was wrong. And guys, that was a time where being anti-racist actually meant something. You put your life, you put the life of your family on the line. Those men were extraordinary. What people are doing today, the anti-racist today, it's a joke. So literally today at dinner uh, tonight, we, we had some family over and they brought Christmas presents. We a family that we haven't seen, you know, for a while. Here it is uh, March and we, we hadn't seen them for a good long while. Um, so they brought Christmas presents over for the children and then they brought some for us. And, you know, my daughter opens it. I think my daughter opens it and she shows it to me and it's a Christmas ornament. But it's the ornament is one of those White House historical ornaments, and it's the portrait of JFK. And when it happened, I knew, I was like, I, I had three points for this podcast, but I knew, you know, I'm, I'm adding this, because I knew when they left, uh, we were going to put the kids down, and I was going to come and record this episode. But if you haven't seen the portrait, honestly... Pause the pause the podcast right now and Google it. Just type in JFK presidential portrait and think about you know what what do you see? You you ask ten people um, what they see in a picture, you get ten different opinions. But look at the portrait of this man. And just. You know, whatever you see, it's probably something heavy, something deep. You know, when I was in the army, I ran an anti-human trafficking nonprofit. And, you know, it kind of ties this whole episode together. Just as where we started, you know, there's a red thread that ties the Bible together, God's word together from the garden to glory and that's the thread of Jesus Christ and his blood that stitches the entire book together. What stitches this episode together is, you know, purpose. And, and that's why I sit here and it's the clock says 4250 now and, and talk to you guys for this long. Because this stuff is stitched throughout my life. It's part of my testimony. It's part of the grace that I've received. And it's part of God's purpose for me. So it's important to me. And, and that's why I tell you these stories. So that nonprofit 
uh, was called the red cord. It still is called the red cord. Uh, and our logo, it just said the red cord. And underneath it said Isaiah 61.1, which says the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. I hope that you looked up the photo of JFK, the portrait of JFK, rather. And it answers the question that I started this last section off with. Why am I doing this? Because when I I look at this picture, and it's here in front of me now, um, it's on the screen, but I have the ornament right here uh, in my hands. And... It's funny because JFK was a Democrat, but man, didn't we have some things in common? He believed in a strong national defense and a large and powerful military. He believed in low taxes. He believed um, in maximum freedoms. He was a radical Democrat for all of the right reasons, and it cost him his life. And I look at this picture, and I see someone who feels what I felt and what uh, Cindy Evans, the, the founder of the Red Cord, felt reading that verse and seeing the impact that human trafficking has on our world and on our communities, not overseas, here in the United States. I see that same thing when I look at this photo. And it's so funny because this this portrait is literally on my Amazon wish list. Because when I look at this man and and the darkness and the struggle and the, the little bit of hope and the light in the portrait, I see the same purpose. I see the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me to bind up the brokenhearted. You know, we live in the freest country in the world and we have, and we, we love the chains of bondage that we build for ourselves. So, the reason that I do the show, the reason that I'll continue to do the show is because I have to. Because it's part of my purpose. It's, it's, it's part of what I can do to proclaim freedom for captives because our minds have become captive by a radical ideology. I don't want to say left-wing agenda. The politics doesn't matter. It's it's an ideology. It's a religion, and it's counter to the one true God. It's counter to the religion that actually matters. So yeah, this whole thing is evangelism because all these roads lead back to the creator of the universe and to his son, Jesus, who died for us and to the Holy Spirit that lives in me and gives me the power to be bold and courageous. All of this stuff is a through line. So everything that I've said in this episode, everything that I've said throughout the podcast is why I'm doing it because I have to, because it's part of my purpose and because the spirit of the sovereign Lord is 
on me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news. If you don't think of yourself as brokenhearted or bound up or captive, then great. But I bet you know someone who is. I bet you know someone who is afflicted, who's living in darkness, who's a prisoner to their own mind, a prisoner to the ideologies of the day, who is swept up in the passions of the day. And it sucks. It is a tough cage to break free from, but they will never break free from that cage if you do not engage in meaningful relationship with them. My voice has given out. <clears throat> ah, my voice has given out a little bit. It's almost like I've been talking for 48 minutes. But yeah, that's why I do the show. That's why I'll continue to do the show. I hope that you guys enjoyed this. I hope that you will join the live stream this Saturday, March 9th, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. It's going to be me, it's going to be Pat, it's going to be Dave, it's going to be a good time, and that's all I got. <laughs>